Welcome to Selfless Security Chat Chat, episode 49, for February 21st, 2011. I'm Chester Wisniewski, and I'm here with Michael Argas. Welcome back, Michael. Thanks, Chet. And uh, we've got a couple topics here today after recovering from RSA. And I realized that, well, you actually were in the UK, so uh, we both had a week away. And now that we're um, back in Vancouver, just kind of looking through, it's been reasonably quiet on the security front, nothing nothing overly dramatic, uh, no additional governments overthrown this week yet. And um, um, Some that are close. Uh, just for the record, though, I don't mind you sharing my location um, in... Post-trip. Post-trip, but don't do it pre-trip. No, no, I'm very, very cautious of that. Uh, so I guess a couple security update news as far as patches, vulnerabilities kind of thing goes. Uh, Oracle has released Java 6 Update 24, which covers 21 security flaws, 19 of which are remote code execution flaws. Uh, I'm pleased to see Oracle release this update not on a quarterly update. Uh, this, I believe they patched back in January as well. So Maybe a new frequency interval. Yeah, they didn't really announce anything that I could tell at RSA. They did have a booth, which uh, was quite interesting. I was expecting it to be the same place as the Facebook and Apple booths at RSA, <laughs> uh, which is about 40 miles south of so, the so Moscone Center. like the Insecure Center? Yeah, they were there, uh, but I didn't hear any big announcements from them. I, I know they were at a Java Developers Conference this week trying to make good with the Java developer folks. But uh, if you've got Java deployed in, well, one, evaluate whether you need Java deployed. If you don't, it's becoming something that you really uh, don't need for everyday web surfing these days. And and you might want to consider getting rid of it if you don't need it, because it is just additional code that can be exploited on your desktop. But if you do need it, make sure you update to 6 update 24 and uh, get that rolled out as quickly as possible. Microsoft has a new zero day um, in Windows Server. It looks like primarily it's only it, it can only be uh, attacked on 64-bit platforms and only if they have more than 8 gigabytes of memory. So, Which is pretty much any server you're deploying these days. Well, that's kind of the thing, right? I mean, even my desktop actually is running a 64-bit Microsoft OS with more than 8 gigabytes of memory. But uh, needless to say, it, to this to date, it's not been shown that it can be successfully exploited. H.D. Uh, Moore from the Metasploit Project is exploring it and didn't seem terribly optimistic that they were going to be able to come up with something to utilize it. So that's good news. But you may want to go and read Microsoft Security Advisory and take any mitigation on public-facing servers that may have SMB exposed, which, again, I would hope you wouldn't have internet-facing Microsoft servers with SMB enabled. However, uh, there's a lot more of that out there than you might expect, so it might be a good time to audit those machines, see what you've got out there. Moving on, um, the Westboro Baptist Church, which <laughs> I don't think is very well loved by many people in the world, not because they're a Baptist, or not because they're a church necessarily, but they're quite aggressive in their political opinions um, about... Uh, the status of uh, whether homosexuality is, is acceptable public uh, practice and this kind of thing. And they've gotten the attention of Anonymous. Yep, they are legion. Well, it's interesting how, you know, the, it's, it's almost like we're feeding the trolls with Anonymous and that the more attention the press gives them, uh, the greater frequency with which they're taking up causes. Is it sort of like a terrorist approach? You know, they, they do these things for attention and that gets them more recruits? Well... But what about the idea of an international vigilante justice league? Like, I mean, isn't that what we're getting down to with these guys, right? The the idea of anonymous is that people are joining together on a global basis to fight for causes or right and wrong where they where they choose. Do we do we have an international vigilante problem? Yeah, I, I guess the other question is like, you know, there's a little bit of who chooses the causes, right? Like, and who chooses the targets, and you know, where where do you draw the lines? 
And uh, I mean, I'm not defending the Westboro Church by any stretch of the imagination, but there, it's just it seems like a recipe for disaster down the road. Well, it's it's kind of a continuation of where Anonymous originally got their fame for going after the Scientologists. And uh, clearly, you know, well, the, no one's picking the topics if you believe the way that Anonymous works. I mean, right, it's, it's enough people getting together in a chat room and saying, there's an injustice somewhere in the world and let's get together and do something about it. Well, it's, it's interesting, too, because the, the second letter from Anonymous um, kind of contradicted the first letter to a certain extent. There, there was almost a little bit of, you know, that wasn't really us and you responded to something that wasn't us. And, oh, by the way, we are us. And, you know, it seems to me like one of the best ways to defeat Anonymous would be to interfere with their channels of communication to a certain extent. I mean, anybody could claim to be them and how would you, how, how would you legitimately deny it? But then you get into criminal realms like First of America, since you brought that up, apparently, or First of America, uh, Bank of America, maybe it is, the, the, um, the WikiLeaks data people that uh, the information was leaked about them this week and that they were actually going to be hiring hackers to break into systems to, uh, to compromise the data that was going to be released and commit a bunch of other crimes. And this was all discussed apparently at a board meeting. Um, and you know, That's, one of their primary methods was to disrupt the communications and to participate in anonymous in a way that they could try to disrupt the operation. Yeah. I'm certainly not suggesting that corporates should get involved in that sort of thing. Um, definitely making sure that anything happened within the realm of the law, but I, I and whatever, what I mean, what anonymous is doing is beyond the reach of regular law. Do we have a vigilante problem? It seems like it's growing with more attention we give it and maybe we should move on. Well, um, that's certainly how I, I feel about quite a few topics. Uh, <laughs> dare we mention the cloud or other things. But, well, I, I guess it's sort of then put yourself in the shoes of the Canadian government. Um, you know, in the Canadian government, uh, they, they had a data breach in January, I believe it was. Yeah, quite recently. And uh, it impacted a couple of their the, the financial federal departments. Uh, and uh, they actually ended up having to take them offline for a period of time. It was interesting. There was a news article on the CBC, and they were talking about all their employees had been sent off to internet cafes and stuff to do their work. And it seemed to be that, you know, were we were we solving one problem by creating another um, in terms of security? But yeah, well, I guess the question I was thinking of is that if it's wrong for Bank of America to potentially try to hack Julian Assange and Anonymous. Um, is it wrong for the Canadian government to consider when their data is stolen as a you know as a government as an act of cyber war to cyber espionage? Let's let's get our terminology clear. But <laughs> uh, but it's you know they were attacked, which is could be if they were the United States, they would say it's an act of war. And would it be appropriate for a government to clandestinely hack into who stole their data? It's wrong for companies we established, but is it okay for a government? I think appropriate is, I mean, a term for the for the legal scholars rather than for for us. But um, you know, governments will take action, and we've seen this in the past. And uh, you know, on a similar note, there was the whole um, article the other day about the the Israeli general taking credit for the uh, the Stuxnet virus, right, and all this kind of stuff. So these things are going to happen. Um, you know, whether or not a, a counterattack is an appropriate measure is. You know, is it better to add more fuel to the fire? I don't know. Um, yeah, it seems like protecting the data up front is a better approach to these problems. Had the United States not let Bradley Manning just download all this unencrypted data, then the whole WikiLeaks thing would have 
not happened. Um, and similar in this case, I mean, we don't know what was stolen. We don't know how sensitive it was. Uh, we know there's the finance ministry and one other ministry. Yeah, revenue department or something. I mean, th- but the reality is there is a very serious debate going on in policy circles right now about offensive capabilities, and we can't ignore that debate. And, you know, the question is where will governments and where will corporations draw the lines? And, you know, um, you, need, you need to make sure that you're doing the best you can to defend yourselves, but um, I would recommend against adding fuel to the fire, personally. And lastly, we, we didn't really discuss uh, the situation. We talked a bit about Egypt a few weeks ago. We didn't really discuss the situation in Tunisia, although there was a very interesting piece on the American television program 60 Minutes last night um, going through the details of the Tunisian, the involvement of the Internet and the, organiz- you know, the organizing and all this stuff. And yet at the same time, we've got the Canadian government throwing the kill internet switch. kill switch on their own network, which I think is totally appropriate. I mean, if if we were to have a, a breach of systems in my own home, in fact, this happened to me 10 years ago, I had a red hat box that was compromised in my own house. And when I found out, I threw the kill switch. I just went over and you know yanked the ethernet out of the wall and said, okay, now I can look into this and figure out what was going on, see where I made my mistakes, clean up my mess, and you know better secure my systems before I plug back in. So the, the Canadian government elected to take themselves offline, yeah. not Canadian citizens who, who I believe have a, a right to access the networks that they're paying for. Well, and so there's, there's kind of the three different sides of this, this triangle. On one side, you've got Egypt, which pulled the, key, the kill switch, full stop. You've got Tunisia, which didn't pull a kill switch. Instead, they started intercepting all the login credentials for people on Twitter and Facebook and all this kind of stuff so they could you know, infiltrate and, and take whatever actions that they wanted to desire. As a net user, Egypt or Tunisia, I'm not sure which is the better outcome. I mean, is it better for you to be disconnected altogether and know that or to have your credentials you know, taken and be spied on and all this kind of stuff. And then, of course, there's this huge debate going on in Congress and the Senate right now about creating an internet kill switch for the U.S. And would they stop at U.S. government departments? Or would, It sounds to me what they're debating about is like shut down the whole bloody internet, which is, you know, let's not talk about the cost here, but it's a, a pretty dramatic act. Um, and it would have to be a pretty severe uh, course of action for that to make any sense at all. It seems to me that, that it wouldn't actually be effective in going back to the debates that were going on 10 years ago around 9-11 in that, you know, that if we go to that extent, then the terrorists win. Yeah, well, what's even worse is, to me, a kill switch is a giant target for anybody who's attacking you, right? Like, it's, it's basically, there, is, there would be some mechanism to pull the internet offline. And if I were an attacker trying to cause havoc in the United States, what, what do you think pulling the internet offline would do? It would cause a tremendous amount of havoc. So, uh, yeah. Well, that's, that's just it. I mean, if we're under attack over the Internet and it's disrupting whatever they think it's going to disrupt, whether that be electricity distribution or traffic lights or whatever things might be on the Internet that shouldn't be, um, turning off the whole thing doesn't really solve that problem because it prevents us from using the systems that are being disrupted. Like, there's, it's not a solution. It seems to be a, uh, a freedom of speech issue more than a, a protection measure. And, and the only people it's protecting are maybe the people in control. And I think we ought to be very cautious of those types of activities. When we've already seen that the freedom of speech issue seems to be uh, being a bit mis- misused right now with takedowns of websites and all that kind of stuff. But let's not dwell into that too much. This is a security podcast, not necessarily a political, political one. Although we got a bit political, political this week, but we uh, generally try to avoid that situation. Well, thank you for joining me again, Michael. Uh, this has been Software Security Chat Chat, episode 49. As always, you can get all of our podcasts at podcasts.sophos.com or on iTunes or subscribe to us over RSS. For all the latest news, visit nakedsecurity.sophos.com, the most educational security blog on the internet. And uh, until next time, stay secure.